has that amazing analogy of Jesus saying, just like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Everybody who believes in him will find forgiveness and acceptance and eternal life. And then there is God's verdict on people who basically refuse to accept the truth of that. And we know some of the reality of that in some of the people whom we know. And then in verse 22, <clears throat> John the Apostle talks about another John, John the Baptist. After this it says, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he sent, spent some time with them and baptised, or and was baptising. Excuse me, John was also baptising at Anon near Salem because there was plenty of water there. And people were coming and being baptised. This was before John was put into prison. <clears throat> An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing purifications. They came to John, they said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he's baptising and everyone's going to him. To this John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater. He must increase. And I must become less. I must decrease. There's the focus, the passage that we're going to have a quick look at this morning let's pray thanks lord for your word thank you that we have this opportunity um, we've already had um, great songs reminded of great truths through gary uh, been reminded of your incredible love for us at the communion table and now lord we get to read your word and to hear it you have blessed us and we look to you to speak to us, to develop in us a desire to be like John, fully submissive to your intentions for each of our lives. Lord, come draw us to yourself and speak your will, your heart into our minds and spirits. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Stephen Cole, who is a preacher that I read every now and again, he tells a story of uh, a Peanuts uh, cartoon that he was once reading where Linus is talking to Charlie Brown <clears throat> and the captions read things like this um, where Linus is saying to Charlie Brown when I get big I'm going to be a humble little country doctor I'll live in the city see and every morning I'll get up and climb into my sports car and I'll zoom into the country there I'll start healing people I'll heal people for miles around and in the last frame the caption says and I'll be a world famous humble little country doctor Charles Sorts, of course, the drawer of those remarkable cartoons, is poking fun at the truth that we all find it difficult to be humble. Pride is arguably the most deadly of all things because it's probably at the base, at the root, source of origin of our disobedience, of our sin. It's more than likely, it's pride that led Satan to fall from glory. As incomprehensible as that is, the more you think about that, the more difficult it is to get your mind around it. How could a being who is absolutely perfect, dwelling in a perfect place, gifted with outstanding gifts, <clears throat> think that they could outdo the Lord himself? And yet it happened. 
pride. I will ascend on high, Satan says. It was the bait that Satan used to trip Eve up in the Garden of Eden, pride. And if truth be told, whenever we sin, then we are inevitably saying, I think I know better than God, so I'm going to do this. You stop and analyse it, that's what's behind all of our sin. Pride, us wanting to do our own thing. What's in the middle of sin? What's the middle letter? I. What's the middle letter of pride? I. At the centre. And it could easily be argued, this story this morning is about John the Baptist, this passage. It could easily be argued, gee, if anybody had a reason to be proud, he would. Not many people could claim to be filled with the Holy Spirit from their birth. Not many people. In fact, he was the only one who was the ordained forerunner of the Messiah himself. And he was incredibly successful in ministry for however long a time that was. And it's probably only a few short years. Late 20s, early 30s, he starts doing his preaching thing. and crowds are flocking to him. Everybody's talking about him. Everybody's asking questions. The religious leaders even make a trip from Jerusalem up to him to say, who are you? Are you the Messiah? Are Are you the one who was promised? Are you the prophet? And how come you're doing this? Even Herod was talking about John the Baptist. He was headline news for a time. And it's of this same John the Baptist that the Lord Jesus even testifies when he is arrested, when John is put in prison, Remember what Jesus said about John the Baptist, Matthew 11? Of all those born of woman, none is greater than John. That's a pretty remarkable testimony, isn't it? So if anybody had a reason to be proud, you would think, well, it'd be John. But here is this remarkable paragraph which gives us an insight into his heart and his direction and his motivation which is therefore applicable to us if we're going to be workers with God this year then we've got to have an attitude like John has one of the things God will always resist always resist is pride one thing God looks for and one thing God will always bless and use humility God looks for the humble people because then People know that it's God who is doing the work and God is the one who will get the glory. Well, I've got seven quick truths I think we're going to race through this morning and verse by verse. I encourage you to have your Bible. I encourage you to bring a journal or a notepad. If you don't have one, I encourage you to bring a pen. If you don't have one, ask for one. We could probably get you one. And if you don't have a pen and you don't have a journal, what are you doing? No. Um, Write on the yellow card. Take it home. Write on the back of the bulletin. We should come, people, expectant that God is going to say something to you this morning. God is going to say something to me. And when he says it, I need to be able to write it down. Because we all have incredible forgetteries. I know that from now until Wednesday, most of what I say to you in the next 15, 20 minutes is going to disappear. And you're going to remember about 5% of what I say. Unless you write it down. Then you remember 6%. And you remember a bit more. But most importantly, you will remember and be able to recall what God says to you this morning. That's what you need. So number one, verse 22. <clears throat> After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and was baptising. I'm being a little bit naughty because I'm sort of reading into the text a little bit. But if you jump ahead a paragraph and go to chapter 4, verse 2, Many of you will know this anyway. It says uh, Jesus uh, was gaining and baptising more disciples than John. 
Although, in fact, it wasn't Jesus who was baptising, but it was his disciples. That's the point. Jesus didn't baptise them. He commanded them to be baptised. It's not yet Christian baptism. That's still coming. So this is a baptism of obedience and entrance into the kingdom. Jesus commanded it, but Jesus wasn't doing it. Jesus was doing it through his disciples. Uh, That's my point. God is working through us. God is working through his, Jesus' disciples. That's how Jesus was doing it. Because it says in verse 22 that Jesus was baptising, but he wasn't. They were, which means that when we do what he wants us to do, it's as if he's doing it. He's doing it through us. Make sense? Okay, good. Like in Acts chapter 9, where the Lord Jesus appears to the Apostle Paul and he says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, excuse me, Jesus, I'm not. I'm persecuting the Christians. Well, Jesus says to persecute them is to persecute me. He identifies with us and therefore when we work in his name and in his power and according to his purposes, he is working and he works through us. And that's duplicated, Matthew 25, 2 Corinthians 5 and so on. Even when we pray in the name of Jesus, we are praying as his representative. It's him, if you like, praying through us. We are accomplishing his will. That's point one. I mean, that's our focus for this year, isn't it? To work with God because God wants to work through us in all of our conversations and activities and the events and circumstances of life. Verse 23, second point. John, remarkably... Though he has seen the Lord Jesus, and though he has already pointed and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and said it twice back in chapter 1, and he's had some of his disciples go off, John didn't quit. John continued to do what God had called him to do. He stayed at the task. I find that stimulating and encouraging. John the Baptist continued to be obedient to God's call on his life, even though Jesus was already on the scene. He kept going until God closed the door. John didn't decide, okay, my work is finished. God no longer needs me. He didn't become discouraged and he certainly didn't become competitive. Nor does he quit going along vocation. He faithfully perseveres. It's a word of encouragement to us. Stay at the task that God has called you to do until your father says, okay, now is the time to let go of the plough. Now is the time you can rest. Now is the time. Until that point, stay on target. John the Baptist was certainly uh, one who had ministered to very large crowds, but now that's changing. Now the crowds are shrinking. Now the crowds are increasing for Jesus over there. And he might be discouraged by that. We're not told. But he stays at it. With diminishing returns of success, still at it. Still being faithful. F.B. Meyer, some of you may know the name, was a, uh, is a commentator and a famous preacher back in the 1800s. And he lived at a time when Charles Haddon Spurgeon was the preacher in London. Was just about the preacher in the world. Nearly everybody was reading sermons from Spurgeon. Every week his sermon was published in the newspaper. Every week. That was Spurgeon. He was unique. And God just raised him up powerfully. And there were many other very gifted commentators, Bible preachers, pastors of large churches, but they just lived in the shadow of Spurgeon. And F.B. Meyer was one of them. Some of you will know his name. And F.B. Meyer, remarkably, like John the Baptist, was a very humble servant. And he, in fact, had a church one time in London with Spurgeon down the street. And he would stand at the front of the church and he'd see carriage after carriage after carriage after carriage go to Spurgeon's church. And hardly anybody come to his. 
You know what F.B. Meyer would say? He would say to people, have you heard Spurgeon preach? You should go listen to him preach. Now isn't that humility? Come to my church, listen to me. No, if you haven't heard Spurgeon, he's God's gifted, go listen to Spurgeon. I think that attitude is remarkable. I, of course, don't have that attitude. I do. Come here. <clears throat> I don't, actually. I encourage people to go somewhere where God's word is being faithfully taught. I heard the story, a sad story this week, that I have to follow through in the coming weeks, so pray for me with wisdom in this. I heard the very sad story of another young guy, a young guy, who wants to be a pastor and who's knocking on the door and kicking on the door and the church where he's at is sort of not recognising that and so now he's going to go off and start his own church and he's going to do it in Sunnybank. That's why it affects my responsibility. And his attitude is he's going around. He might even be here this morning. He does attend Sunnybank occasionally, usually the 10.30 service. So if he is here this morning and if he is in this service, then we need to have a chat because the attitude is completely wrong. You can't go to church and say, come with me to my church. That's called cheap stealing. And the Lord doesn't bless it. The Lord looks for humility. He'll grow the church. He'll move saints around. He'll move people from church to church to church. And that's all okay with me. Just be in the place where God wants you to be and let God work. We are to work with him and continue to do what he has called us to do. Verse 25. Um, an argument developed between some of John's disciples. So John still has disciples. And a certain Jew or a group of Jews. And the issue they were talking about was ceremonial washing. We're not given the details of it, but we are told the result of it, that after this dispute between some of John's disciples, who, by the way, weren't listening to John, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Go listen to him. He's the Messiah. Follow him. He's still got disciples. What's he doing? Continuing to serve faithfully with those who are remaining with him. But they're a little bit out of sorts. They've now had this dispute, this question, this argument, and they come to John and they say to him in verse 26, they call him Rabbi, which I hadn't noticed before, Rabbi. That man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, Jesus, the one you testified about, the Lamb of God, look, he is baptising and everyone is going to him. Which means, what are they saying to John? They're a little bit miffed. They're a little bit jealous. They're a little bit concerned. They're envious for John or for themselves. So the point that I want us to get out of this is we need to be aware that as we work with God, distractions will come. We will be tempted to be great. And often that temptation will come from within. It'll often come from those who are close to us. And so this is given to us, I think, as a bit of a warning. Prepare yourself. Can't you just hear and see the evil one behind this? This is one of his favourite devices to fan into flame our own insecurities and our own jealousies, to make us ineffective. Because once pride gets in, God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. We have to maintain a sense of, you are Lord, I'm a servant. What you give is according to your good hand. It's glory to you, not to us. And we make the mistake that we see the people and we glorify them when really we should see the Lord who is behind the people. 
One of the reasons why Spurgeon was so significant and so greatly used by God because that was his perpetual attitude, not me, him. And if you read Spurgeon's sermons, well, my experience of reading Spurgeon's sermons is when I have finished reading it, I think what an incredible God we have. What a wonderful saviour. Because he was always pointing to the Lord Jesus. When you read other sermons, and I've read thousands, then often I am left with the impression of what a very gifted servant that guy is. Hasn't God gifted him? See the slight difference? All the glory must always go to him because he is the one who was at work. Hudson Taylor once came to um, Melbourne. Warren Weasby tells a story and he was introduced by somebody who was obviously carried away with Hudson Taylor's significance and how God had greatly used him and was using all sorts of accolades to draw attention to Hudson Taylor. When Hudson Taylor got to the platform, he simply said, I am a very lowly servant of a very illustrious master. Focus on him. That's right, isn't it? That's the corrective. That's the right attitude that we need to have. That's what Moses had in Numbers chapter 11. Moses is with a tent with 68 of the 70 elders of Israel or whatever the numbers were and two of them, Medad and Eldad, were told their names, are back in the camp. They didn't bother coming out. And the Spirit of God was poured out upon this gathering and they start prophesying and praising God. And then Joshua somehow finds out that these two jokers, Medad and Eldad, back in the camp, elders, they also received the Spirit. And they were praying and prophesying. And Joshua was a bit miffed. He was a bit jealous for Moses. And he came running to Moses and he says, Moses, my Lord, tell them to stop. They shouldn't be allowed to have this blessing. They didn't come out here and weren't part of this. And Moses says, Joshua, I wish the Lord would pour out his spirit upon all of us. I wish we're all prophesying and praising the Lord. It's not about status. It's not about us being the great ones. It's about the Lord Jesus having closeness and intimate relationship with all of his people. It's interesting, you know, a couple of chapters, chap, next chapter, chap, Numbers 12, verse 3, says, Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Who wrote that? Who wrote the book of Numbers? Moses did. Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Now, if I wrote that in the bulletin, I wrote an article, it's in today's bulletin. If I signed that at the bottom, not just Daryl, if I signed it, Daryl was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else in the whole church. What would you think? You would all go, wow. No, you wouldn't. You would go, hmm, I won't say what you would go. <laughs> now, while Moses wrote the book of Numbers, the corrective is... Who inspired the writing of the book of Numbers? Holy Spirit. Moses may have been the author, but this is the Holy Spirit's endorsement upon this remarkable leader. Yeah, Moses was a very humble man, and he was more humble than anybody else on the face of the earth at that point in time. And he's not bragging, he's not distorting it. That's the truth. Holy Spirit inspired truth. God looks for humility. Okay. Um, distractions will come. We need to be aware of it. I better move on quickly. Number four, um, uh, God is sovereign. He is the one who is in charge. God is working through us 
Uh, we should continue in the task that he's called us to do. Distractions will come. But at the end of the day, we have to realize that God is the one who is in charge. He's not in charge of, well, I'm going to say it like this, and you might want to talk about this on the yellow form. I want to say it like this, that God is in charge overall, but not of, of all. There are some things that happen in our world. It's not God. It's somebody else. Sometimes it's us. But he is overall. He is sovereign. He is in charge. And he can respond to whatever Satan does or whatever we do, which is in disobedient to him. The apostle, John, uh, sorry, John the Baptist says, verse 27, when his disciples came to him and said, he and everybody's going to him, you know, what are you going to do about it? John says, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. Underline that verse. Learn that spiritual truth. A person can only receive what is given them from heaven. Why is that church so significant and so large and has so much of God's blessing? Because God is blessing it. Why is this church over here small? Because God is not entrusting to it some of these other things that is entrusting there. Why not? Well, there are reasons. And you have to examine those reasons. John's attitude, a person can only, cannot receive anything except it is given from heaven. God's doing this, John is saying. Jesus is getting a bigger following. God is at work. That's what's supposed to happen. The apostle, uh, John the Baptist bows before God's sovereignty. He's not surprised by it. He's not miffed by it. Fully accepts it. He realises he's a link in the chain. So are we. And he seems to be quite happy and content accepting that. Then he goes on and says, you yourselves can testify. I've already told you. I'm not the Messiah. My role is to be sent ahead of him. I know who I am. I'm a link in the chain. I point to him. The fact that he increases, well, of course that's going to happen. That's what God's doing. John knew what God wanted him to do. That's the point. We need to know what God wants us to do and to do it with all our might. Well, John goes on to say that basically Jesus is the Lord. It belongs to him. Verse 29, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him, full of joy when he hears his voice. John is saying, it's all about Jesus. He's the Lord. He's the master. Israel belongs to him. Or if you like in our terminology, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. Of course, the church belongs to him. It's not our church. We use the phrase and the words like the Apostle Paul does and the New Testament does on occasions, my church, our church. And we're using that possessive of it, not that we own it, but it's the one that we commit ourselves to and we belong to. But it's the church of the Lord Jesus. He owns it. It is his. We are entrusted to him. John the Baptist was just the best man. He's the friend of the bridegroom. And so are we. Remarkably, let me just share this other thought with you quickly. The friend of the bridegroom says, John says, stands and hears and rejoices. There is a point where the friend of the groom, where the servant of the master, simply ceases activity and is listening for the voice of the master, not rushing about, not being overly busy, not being like Martha, but like being with like Mary listening because he is Lord and he is the one who's going to be directing our steps. 
Humanly speaking, I remind you that John had been on the crest of a wave of popularity. All segments of society had been going to him and that had now ebbed and was diminishing, declining. And John's humility, his attitude just stands out. It's not about me. It's not about we, he says to his disciples. It's about he. It's about him. He is the one that we are to exalt. He is the one who is preeminent. That's my next point. Our role is to exalt the Lord Jesus. Our mission, to exalt him and to bring others to do the same. Our joy is to hear his voice and to do his will. Our focus for 2015, listen to what the master says and do everything he says to you. To work with him, to cooperate with him on what he's doing. Keep your eyes open. God is at work. Sometimes doing little things that will add up. We're links in a chain. And sometimes God's going to do some rather significant, big things. Healing people, saving people, changing circumstances, providing miraculously, opening doors, and even closing doors. Time's done. Need to move on. So we are to exalt the Lord Jesus and to exalt the Lord Jesus in others. When we see God at work in other our brothers and sister churches, then exalt the Lord Jesus in them. Don't be jealous. Don't be envious. Be grateful for what the Lord is doing in them and through them. That's all about him. It's all about his kingdom. It's not about us. I never pray for God just to bless us. I always pray, God, bless us and the churches around us where your word is faithfully taught. Brothers and sisters, bless them too. So here's an activity. Do this on the yellow form if you like. <clears throat> Make a covenant before God to do something positive for others. Bless them. Acknowledge God's work in them by encouraging them. Not only say good things to them, say good things about them. Don't undermine, but rather lift up. Remember F.B. Meyer, Charles Spurgeon? Encourage. And then finally, John says another thing that is worth us underlining. He must become greater. He must increase and I must decrease. I must become less. He must increase. I must decrease. John is saying, I'm expendable. My role is temporary. It's all about him. He is the one that we are following. He is the one that we are ministering to and in whose name we minister. Remarkably, the more I decrease and the more I will delight in him, the more I delight in him and listen to him, then I will find the more I decrease in myself. Pride, you see, works the other way, flips it. Pride makes me focus on me. How is it going to affect me? Whereas humility says, what is he doing? How can I help him? How can I cooperate with him? What does he want to achieve? How can he be glorified? Our time is gone. Let me remind you what I said out of this passage. God is the one who is working through us. We should continue to do the task that God had called us to do until he directs otherwise. Be aware that distractions will come. We will be tempted to be greater than what we are. But God is sovereign. He's in charge. Jesus is Lord and he is the one that we are to exalt. And don't forget, we're expendable. Our role is temporary. He is doing the work. And at the moment, he wants to do that with us. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who is working, using people just like us, calling us to a task that you have prepared us for, shaped us for, gifted us for, and the one who is using us in your own time to achieve your purposes. Father, continue to do the work and help us to be humble, listening, available, obedient, not getting in the road, but rather being a link in the chain where Jesus is exalted, where Jesus is glorified, not just in us, but in our brother and sister churches as well. So, Father, do your work for your own good pleasure to bring people to Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.